Our text today is not 2 Samuel 18, as is printed in your bulletin, nor is the title of the, the uh, sermon today, Evil Thwarted. <clears throat> I've turned from those uh, two notions to uh, a sermon titled, The Kingdom from the Fruit of the Womb on Mother's Day. And by the way, ladies who are mothers, happy Mother's Day. It's good to have you in our presence. I have chosen three texts today, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. These texts describe three mothers from scriptures that without their faithfulness and without their fear of God, there would be no kingdom of God. And so today I want to to preach from these three texts. Let's hear the texts first. And so I'll begin with Exodus 2, 1 through 4, then 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, and then lastly, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Hear once again the very word of God. <clears throat> and a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And now from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And now from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. 
For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father, you have commanded us in your fifth commandment to honor our mothers. And even today, we endeavor to do that. Those women who gave birth to us, who gave us life. Father, we look into your scriptures and understand how important mothers are to your decree, your plans of redemption for mankind, for your advancement of the kingdom of Christ. And Father, help us to understand with a greater appreciation the importance of the fruit of the womb. We thank you, Father, for this great blessing of which we are the fruit. And so, Father, help us to honor mothers as we ought and future mothers in our congregation. And we ask this in your Son's name, and for the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Brethren, last year I preached a sermon on what our culture has termed Mother's Day. It was an unusual event because prior to that time, I had decided not to do that because I looked upon that as a cultural event and not a biblical perspective. I have repented of that notion for one simple reason. Our culture despises mothers. And despite Mother's Day being an event that comes year after year, mothers have been belittled and demonized by much of our society. And thus it has become countercultural to embrace and promote motherhood. We as Christian believers must embrace the fact that our faith, its doctrines, and its precepts its ethics and commandments all point to the importance of motherhood. As I pointed out in our prayer, as we said or sang in the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, we are to honor our mothers. This is very important because without the mothers, the propagation of the Gospel would cease, the Kingdom of God would not advance, yea, even our Savior would not have been mourned. And so I want us to consider three examples from Scripture today of godly mothers. Women whose faith prevailed in times of great testing and trial. Women who set their minds on the very thing they were created to do. And that is to bear the fruit of the womb. I want us to keep in mind today as we consider these three passages, that of uh, Moses' birth to Jochebed, uh, 
Samuel's birth to Hannah and also our Lord's birth to Mary, I want us to to keep in mind a very simple concept that is spoken of in Exodus 13.2, where God says, Whatever opens the wound among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. God says, it is mine. Whatever opens the wound, it is mine. This passage is reiterated by the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 2, verse 23, when Jesus is brought to the temple to be circumcised after Mary's purification. Brethren, without mothers, the mothers of Moses, Samuel, and Jesus having embraced this truth, at least in two of those three cases, the kingdom of God would have been no more. And those two cases are the cases of Jochebed and Mary rearing children in the face of death. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read again that four-verse passage, and then I'll begin to comment on it. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. And so both uh, Jochebed and her husband were from the, the tribe of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what he would have done, what would be done with him. Brethren, this is a familiar account from the Old Testament. Pharaoh, the king in Egypt, had become envious of the children of Israel, as we read in chapter 1 of Exodus. They had grown to such a number that he felt threatened by their number. He had forgotten his forefathers and what happened in their days when a child of Israel, Joseph, had delivered them from a great famine. This Pharaoh, consequently, despised the Israelites and enslaved them out of fear and envy. Pharaoh had declared the execution of newly born Israelite male children that he might end their growth. Interesting, that he might end the growth of that kingdom. And Jochebed, the wife of Amran, Levi's grandson, had borne a son and purposed in her heart to preserve her firstborn son. Jochebed, brethren, was pro-life. She believed that the fruit of the womb belonged to God. Jochebed acted in defiance to Pharaoh's edict, much like the Hebrew midwives of Exodus chapter 1, and hid her son as she nursed the child for three months. There is that comment in this passage, which is reiterated, brethren, we'll see in a moment in Hebrews 11, that she saw that the child was beautiful and she hid him three months, as if to say, had the child not been beautiful, she might not have hid him. That's not what's being surmised here. I believe that the reference to this beautiful child was that it was a child of God's hand. This is God's doing. 
And so she, no matter what it had looked like, that child, she was going to preserve its life. She saw beauty in God's handiwork. That's what she was to preserve. So Jochebed, in defiance to Pharaoh, keeps the child, nurses the child for three months, but at the end of that three-month period, it became too intense for her to hide this child any longer. So what does she do? She literally casts the child into the hands of God's providences by placing him in a basket and sending him adrift on the Nile River. In Hebrews 11, we have God's interpretation of these events that clearly show us how important Jochebed's actions were. And we read there, beginning in Hebrews 11.23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And then by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. In Hebrews 11.23, two very important statements are made regarding Jochebed and her husband. First, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And second, they were not afraid of the king's command. Herein we learn a very valuable lesson, brethren. As we are reminded in many places in Scripture, the just shall live by their faith. Consider the faith of Jochebed. First, she put herself and her household at risk by, by defying the unlawful command of Pharaoh for three months. Hiding her son from the authorities to nurture him and to provide for him. When she could no longer hide her son, she cast him to the care of God's providences on the banks of the Nile. Brethren, she feared God more than she feared the king. She did not live in fear of Pharaoh. She lived in obedient fear of the living God. God preserved her son, and for her faithful, obedient fear of God, she was rewarded. Jochebed's son advanced the kingdom of God by and through her son who shared her faith, obedient fear of God. Moses would lead the people out of Egypt. He was the instrument of deliverance for Israel and the example to the whole world that Yahweh is a God of deliverance. Not only had he been delivered by his own mother for three months, God himself delivered that child into the hand of Pharaoh's daughter, who delivered him as well, and later he would be the deliverer for Israel, because he believed as his mother did. To live in fear of God is greater than to live in fear of Pharaoh. But what about our second example from 1 Samuel 1 and 2? 
Here we have the account of Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, and Hannah was barren. She sought the Lord's favor, asking for a son, and before that son was born, she promised to dedicate him to the service of the Lord. She was blessed by God and was given a son who she named Samuel, which literally means heard by God. Heard by God. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, following the birth of Samuel, Hannah offers a prayer to God that is most insightful. This is a prayer, this is a prayer of Hannah's theology, her belief, it is her testimony, all of which are instructive for us. Hear again that prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-10. through And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of His saints but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. Brethren, Hannah understood the might and the grace of the Lord. It is He who closes and opens the womb. She acknowledges this in her prayer. It is He who numbers our days and exalts the horn of His anointed. Hannah believes this and embraces this with all her heart. Her prayer evidences her profound faith. When you go through the previous chapter, you understand Hannah goes to worship the Lord The high priest Eli is there witnessing her prayer and she's speaking silent words from her lips with passion. She's not speaking out loud, but her prayer, she is speaking passionately to God. So much so that Eli thinks she's drunk. And after her prayer, he says to her, how long will you be drunk? And she pleads with him, no, you misunderstand. I'm not drunk. I am pleading with the God who can deliver me. Her passion, her heartfelt passion was for the one who has the might 
and the mercy to do what she desired, and that was to give her, her, give her a son. Ladies of our congregation who have endured similar circumstances as that of Hannah, do not lose heart. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He seeks godly offspring from His anointed. Malachi 2.15 I implore you, seek God's face in the increase of your family, and He will bless you greatly. It may be that He would open your womb. It may be that He would bless you in the adopting of a child. In either situation, God can and will provide. He will lift up your horn. He will set your feet on a solid rock. As for Samuel's significance in the kingdom of God, it was Samuel who brought hope to the people of God when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Remember, Samuel comes on the scene immediately after the book of Judges. Samuel was faithful to God when Eli, the high priest, was not faithful. Samuel anointed David as king in Israel. He was God's instrument of hope in a time of hopelessness. And he was the fruit of the womb. Now lastly, let's turn our attention to Mary, the mother of our Lord and King. As the Scriptures proclaim, Mary was favored by God above all women, having been chosen to bear our Lord. Consider her lowly estate. She was from Nazareth, a backwater place, notorious for not producing anything good. That's where she was from. She was betrothed to a carpenter, a man of humble means. This commoner of lowly means and the promise of little else would bear the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's almost indicative of the prayer of Hannah, is it not? Out of the ashes God will raise up those whom He loves for His work. Out of poverty... He will bring riches, even a king, to sit at His throne? God in His grace and mercy revealed the importance He had providentially placed on Mary through visitations of heavenly beings, both to her and to her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. They would together rear the Son of the living God. The God-man would be their responsibility. And much like Jochebed having to preserve the life of Moses, the life of Jesus would be threatened by an envious, tyrannical ruler named Herod who sought to kill him. Joseph and Mary would flee to, of all places, Egypt. The very place where Moses' life was threatened as a child. It was from there that the second deliverer would come to bring salvation to the world. Out of Egypt, the Scriptures say, comes the Savior. Consider that Mary's response to this profound blessing from God was to compose a song. She composed a song, having had this great blessing bestowed upon her. Hear her song. 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Her rejoicing in song exemplifies the importance of motherhood in the kingdom of God. God has chosen the simple of this world to exalt His kingdom. Even a woman from Nazareth married to a carpenter would bear the Son of the living God on whose throne He shall sit forever and ever at the right hand of the Father. From such lowly means and lowly estates, God would raise up the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mary's song draws our attention not to herself, save for that one portion (coughs) in verse 49. It was God who lifted up the humble to confound the mighty. It is God who remembers His promises from generation to generation and to the descendants of Abraham. God magnifies the lowly and confounds the mighty. Such blessings should be memorialized in a song. And Mary does that for the kingdom of God, for eternity. She draws attention to the One who delivers, to the One who creates in the womb. And what of her offspring? What shall we say about his accomplishments for the kingdom of God? There is no end to what he accomplishes for the kingdom of God, both in the past and going forward. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end, the Bible declares. It is still happening. His Father, our Heavenly Father, is zealous to make his enemies a footstool for his feet. Who is being lifted up? Is it not Christ? The Son of the living God? The Son of Mary? He is subduing the nations for the honor of the Father. And without Mary bearing the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, there would be no Redeemer or Kingdom of God. Mary's place in history is profound and essential to our salvation. In fact, in our confession today, do we not make mention of Mary? Born of the Virgin Mary? And how God puts down the wicked, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and yet God would overthrow His doing what He believed was an act of righteousness would become 
the righteousness of God in Christ's death. Well, I want to give two applications to the men and women of our church. I'll deal with the men first. Men, you don't exist without a mother. You take breath because God opened the womb of your mother. By His decree, you live. And who shall you live for? Shall we not live for the One who opened the womb? God Himself? Is it not our duty, our honor, our joy to live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has brought salvation to us when we were far from Him? Isn't it His kingdom that we ought to strive to see grow? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Jesus said. What do we seek? Ladies of Trinity, you bear the children of the next generation, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a joy it is to see them coming. Do you have the heart of Elkanah or Hannah and Mary who persevere in the face of even great testing and trials to rear the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you desire to see your children wax strong and be filled with the Spirit as our Savior was in His youth as the Scriptures declare? I think you do. And I hope that the rest of the church aids you in that pursuit. You are a special people in God's plan for the advancement of His kingdom. You are the ones who bear and rear the children of God. You are the fruit bearers. I, I gave a sermon series on the on the, the, uh, the garden within the garden when I spoke about the importance of women in God's plan and purposes. You are the fruit bearers. It is a blessing to have that position. We men will never understand it. Uh, that became clear to me once again even this past week. But it is a joyous and great position to have in the kingdom. God could use you to bear a Samuel or a Moses for the kingdom. But be assured of this, God uses His children to advance His kingdom. And the covenant He made with our forefathers, particularly that of Abraham, is a covenant that we bear with us even now in the new covenant. That God raises up a people for His own pleasure, for His own purposes. And you women are essential to that work. Today, I hope, men, that you honor your wives who are mothers. Your mothers 
young men who have given birth to you and are raising you. I pray that you do that, that you thank them for their sacrifice, for their sacrifice is great, and that you do it in all humility because this is what God has chosen for His people. Let us pray together.